0: Well, good morning. Welcome to New Hope Chapel's Palm Sunday service. I welcome those of you online as well during at this hour. And my sermon title this morning is simply Palm Sunday. My text is the Gospel of Luke chapter 19, verses 41 to 44. Of course, I have it printed for you in the New King James in your handouts. Also included in that is an outline and, of course, Andrea wants you to take notes, so she puts big spaces between the the topics, if you will, and the and the uh, well in the outline itself. So join with me. I always look to Psalm 19:14. I cannot deliver the Word of God without looking to that. So, dear Lord, this morning, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart. Be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Amen? Does my voice sound a little raspy? Maybe? No. Okay. I trust my wife. She says no. Well, I sometimes refer to Palm Sunday as Confusion Sunday. You know, we enter Jerusalem triumphantly with Jesus our King, and we end up with our king mocked, scourged, and brutally crucified. And the emotional difference between Palm Sunday and Easter disorients us. Now, some people will miss, as I mentioned earlier, will miss attending services on Good Friday, and so Palm Sunday has to serve double duty as the crucifixion bridge between Palm Sunday and Easter. They skip because perhaps They want to go right through past the ugly details of Good Friday. And they want to get to the important part of the story, the resurrection. Of course, the Palm Sunday Passion ends the same way every year. So why go? Jesus is on the cross in agony. The veil of the temple is torn. And the centurion every year says, surely this was the Son of God. Well, as much as I would like to skip all of this and deliver an upbeat sermon for you, full of good news, full of salvation and resurrection, we're not there yet. There is no way to the resurrection that has not spent some time at the foot of the cross. And today and this week is that time. Of course, we always have a large, much larger attendance at Easter Sunday than we have on Good Friday. You know, on Sunday, we proclaim the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And on Good Friday, we proclaim the death of Christ on the cross. And yet, we have made the cross the central symbol of our faith and not the empty tomb. Why? Well, the answer is that the cross of Christ has the power to draw us to God as does nothing else. There is something in the cross of Christ that is found nowhere else. You know, Jesus himself spoke of the power of the cross when he said in John twelve thirty two, If I am lifted up, I will draw all men to myself. If I be lifted up, refers to crucifixion. And this is a paradox, because at first sight, the cross repels rather than attracts us. Crucifixion was a horrifying experience and whenever it is depicted in front of our eyes, we are repulsed by the inhumanity of such torture, suffering, and humiliation. And yet, there is something in the cross of Christ that keeps drawing us back to look upon our crucified Lord. What is it? Let's begin with Palm Sunday. Notice first in your outline, Palm Sunday, tragedy or triumph. Jesus wants to share his eternal victory with you. An event that occurred on his last Sunday in Jerusalem illustrates this. Begin with this picture in your mind of that morning. The sun is rising. It was beginning to shoot its golden rays across the horizon and highlight a sky and curtain. uh, curtail the dawn for that morning that would bring a new day to the history-filled city of Jerusalem. This is the festive season of the Passover. The old city was filled with pilgrims, visitors, and travelers from all over the world to share in this feast. Secular census records indicate that there were at least 2,500,000 people in Jerusalem, for that event. An exciting rumor began to spread throughout the city. Jesus is coming. Behind him were his sermons, ahead his suffering. Behind him were his parables, ahead his passion. Behind him were his suppers for fellowship, ahead the last supper of betrayal. Behind him the delights of Galilee. Ahead dark Gethsemane. You know, prophecy was beginning to become reality. So let's set the stage this morning and I want us to mentally walk through the actual event before applying it. Jesus had spent the night with friends in Bethany on the opposite side of Mount Olives from Jerusalem. And the two were very close to each other. They were no more than three miles apart. And historians tell us That traditionally persons from various regions all had their special area around Jerusalem where they camped for feast days. And the south end of the Mount of Olives had for years been the camping ground of the people from Galilee. These were the unsophisticated and unspoiled people of the area where Jesus had spent most of his time and where he performed most of his miracles. They knew him best. On several occasions, they had tried to make him a king. Mark 12.37 says this of them. The common people heard him gladly. In the city of Jerusalem with the wealthy and superficially religious leaders. Jesus had antagonized them by referring to the scribes and Pharisees as hypocrites. Also among them were the Sadducees, and they had long time plotted the end for Jesus. And in order to preserve their wealth and their lifestyle, they had consorted with the conquering Romans, and therefore they compromised their faith. And they had much to lose if they displeased their Roman overlords. These man-pleasing priests and scribes were plotting their death schemes, The poor Galileans had nothing to lose. Now, if you notice that according to verse 9 of Mark 11, there were two groups, those that went before and those who followed. Those that went before were the people who had come out of Jerusalem and because of their curiosity as a result of all the shouting. And those who followed and cried out were the Galileans And our distance in time and space from that event causes us to merge the two groups into one and we assume that it was the same group, the same crowd who shouted Hosanna and later on cried crucify him. But it was the jubilant Galileans who shouted Hosanna and the aristocratic, superficially religious ingrates of Jerusalem wanted to appease the Romans who shouted, crucify him. Now listen, with which crowd do your actions suggest you would have related? Do you daily put him to open shame? Or is your lifestyle a praise of him, which then causes other people around you to praise him? Now, I want you to consider an attribute of God, his timing. Timing is critical to everything we do. Doing the right thing at the right time is critically important. And you've heard this before. Don't get weary and become discouraged in waiting for God's timing in your life. His clock is never wrong. He's a clock watcher. And this event illustrates this. Now, Passover, as you know, was a celebration commemorating the deliverance of the Jews from Egyptian captivity. It's always been celebrated on the 14th day of the Jewish month of Nisan. That's about mid-April for us. Now, all who lived within a 20-mile radius of Jerusalem were required to attend. Actually, it turns out that all the Jews from around the world gathered for this major happening. And you can imagine that excitement mounts with the approach of this particular holiday, so an air of exhilaration preceded Passover. Extensive preparation took place. Roads were repaired. Tombs were whitewashed. Children were rehearsed in the significance of the event. Listen. The prophet Daniel foretold when this momentous event would occur In Daniel 9, 24 to 26, he said, it would be 173,880 days until it happened. And according to John 1, Jesus went to Bethany six days before the Passover and entered Jerusalem the next day. That was precisely 773,880 days from the time of Daniel's prophecy. In this act, the Father is validating that Jesus is indeed the Messiah. Now, what may have seemed to have been an impromptu happening had been scheduled in eternity past to be 173,880 days after Daniel's prophecy. God was dramatizing for us the fact that he keeps his word and always performs on time. Now I want you to follow me as I read our text, Luke nineteen forty-one to 44. In it states, Now as he drew near, he saw the city and wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes, for days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment around you, surround you, and close you on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave in you one stone upon another, because you did not know the time of your visitation. Amen? So today, this morning, I want to take you past the triumphal entry into the tears of Palm Sunday. It's a simple message. In our text, verse 41, we find Jesus weeping over Jerusalem. In verse 41, it says, he saw the city. He looked. He looked at this beautiful Jerusalem, the breathtaking view, the pomp and pageantry of the festival and the occasion. He looked at the splendor. And now secondly, notice in your outline, that Jesus saw beyond the outward appearance. He saw Beyond the facade of the city and the people, beyond the pomp and pageantry of the festival and the celebration, he saw beyond appearances. And what he sees makes him weep. He sees the spiritual condition of the city and its people. He wept because his people did not understand the significance of what was going on that day. They did not understand who he was or oh, why he came to earth. It was his people that rejected him and crucified him. You know, I believe that sometimes Jesus looks at our lives and weeps. Sometimes he is grieved because of our spiritual condition. That we reject him or, or don't give him our all. That we would rather live for self than to live for him. That we would rather be selfish instead of selfless. That we would rather live for this world than to live for his kingdom. You know, I wonder if he is grieved in what he sees in us this morning. Jesus sees beyond the outward appearance of things. Man looks at appearances but God looks inside and beyond and he sees beyond the, awkward, the outward. I know your deeds is what he says in Revelation 2.2. He knows what goes on in the church and what does not. He also says and he sees beyond the outward in our lives the facade that hides inward sin, the smile that hides inward tears, and the face that hides inward pain. Well, I want you to know this morning that he not only sees the outward, but thirdly, notice in your outline, he cares about our pain. And again, verse 41 states, he saw the city and wept over it. Jesus' primary concern was over their sin and rejection. Don't we all know that sin brings pain? All the way from the first sin in the Garden of Eden, every act of disobedience brings pain. All sin has negative consequences, guilt, and shame. We know that the soul that sins without redemption will surely die. If you think you're getting away with sin, you're not. He knows. We cannot sin and win. Repentance is turning away from sin and turning to God. And so Jesus sees beyond the outward appearance he cares about our pain. And fourthly, in your outline notice, that he knows our full potential. Verse 42 of our text states, if, if you, even you, had known. Can you imagine what Jerusalem would have been, the city of blessings. But instead, in 2022, it has become a city of war and grief. What a position for the city of God. Listen, I want you to know today that God also knows our full potential. He doesn't look at what you are as much as he looks to what you could be with his help. The saddest words ever spoken or written are these. It might have been, or it could have been done. He knows what we can achieve. Don't ever underestimate him. A great future beads a great past every time, and he sees beyond the outward appearance. He cares about our pain, and he knows our full potential. And lastly, today in your outline notice that Jesus longs to give us peace in our lives. Again, verse 42 reminds us, if you had known this day, what would bring you peace? Peace. What what a great word it is. Peace. Worlds, governments, and Ukraine chase after it. Peace. Jerusalem means city of peace but war for Jerusalem is waiting in the wings because God's people have rejected him. But thanks be to God. Jesus came to his disciples and spoke these words. In John 14, 26 to 28, he stated, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. See, Jesus wants us to have peace in our lives. But only the type of peace that he can give. Charles Wesley wrote, quote, A rest beneath the almighty shade. My griefs expire, my troubles cease. The Lord on whom my soul is stayed will keep me still in perfect peace. Well, listen. Peace is not the absence of troubles, but it's the presence of God. You see, the peace that Jesus gives us is not the absence of any trials or problems. It is rather the confidence that he is there with us. Always. And so listen and remember, Jesus sees beyond the outward appearance. Jesus cares about our pain. Jesus knows your full potential, and Jesus longs to give us peace. So in conclusion, let's step back again into the story. As Christ's climactic moment arrived, he and his followers mounted the crest of the Mount of Olives, where suddenly the vista of the holy city burst into panoramic view and the exuberant and impetuous crowds shouted, Hosanna! Which means, let even the angels in the highest heights of heaven cry unto God. It has been noted that if the people had not shouted, the rocks themselves would have shouted, Hosanna! And what was the result of his coming? Well, well, Some wanted to kill him. Pharisees and Sadducees were threatened by him. Some wanted to use him. The zealots wanted him to become their military liberator. Some wanted to ignore him. The Romans felt superior to this lowly Nazarene whom they sought to ignore. Some wanted to obey him. Certainly the owner of the donkey eagerly did so. Some wanted to worship him. They knew that he had recently resurrected Lazarus from the dead. The eventful morning of his entry into Jerusalem was a Sunday. On this Sunday, will you allow him to enter your life in triumph? He comes, but only by special invitation. God, the Father, is preparing the most awesome, glorious celebration in heaven. But it is by special invitation only. Where can you get a ticket? They're being handed out on a little hill outside the city of Jerusalem. Won't you stop by and pick one up? And there are no group or family rates. Each must get his own ticket. Amen. Amen. And our service is over. And as we leave here this morning, I want you to go and preferably consider our gathering this coming Friday. Good Friday. Its focus is on our Lord's painful, bloody, and public crucifixions. Good Friday. Is it really good? Well, the answer to that is will be revealed on Resurrection Sunday. Amen. So I'll see you all and more here Friday, 7 o'clock. Be on time. We're limited in our time. Amen. Love you all. See you Friday. Amen.